Hi, I'm Jennifer Mulholland. And I'm Jeff Shuck. We're the co-leaders of Plenty. Thanks for joining our podcast, Plenty for Everyone. Each episode, we talk with conscious leaders like you to explore abundance in work and life, fulfillment in head and heart, and ways we can all work together to make this world a better place. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Plenty for Everyone, the podcast for conscious leaders. Another summertime episode, Jen. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing great. Really grateful to be back in Park City after some summer travel and excited to tune into the full supermoon today that was able to start my morning with a beautiful meditation to welcome in the light. Feels really neat that we've got two full moons in August, which is quite rare. So, and they're both super moons for what it's worth. Awesome. So, remind us what a super moon is. A super moon appears closer to the Earth. So, it's much bigger as it rises along the horizon. So, if you have a chance today or any day that you're listening to this on a Moon. It won't be today. <laughs> won't be today. We know that the next full moon cycle, which will also be in August as right. a rare occurrence. Yeah, it appears bigger and the light is brighter because it appears closer to the earth. So the actual second full moon of the month is called a blue moon. A blue moon. So that's yeah. what hopefully you'll be tuning into when you listen to this. So the blue moon will be a super moon. We're recording this on August 1st, so you're probably listening to this on August 15th, I'm guessing, thereabouts, so you still have a chance to catch Supermoon, which is great. Okay, that's the show. Boom. (laughs) No, that's not the show. It's still summertime, as you can hear us talking about. We're having a great summer. I've been playing lots of bad golf with the hope of it becoming, and it's becoming slightly better, bad golf, so that's been fun. The weather out here has been ridiculously good a little smoky from the fires so that has been concerning but it's been a great summer and you've had a great summer too lots going on yes you and i are both in full transition over the next couple weeks with our sons going away to college so that has been kind of evoking some precious time to be present in that transition but yes i'm grateful to be back from maine and trip to San Diego, where my son will be headed off to college here in two weeks. So feels good to be home and fully kind of in the throes of transition as maybe you are listening to this. Yes. And so we're soaking up the last couple of weeks of summer. The transitions partly inspired today's topic. We got on the phone to talk about what we wanted to talk about today. And one of the topics that surfaced is a topic that we talk a lot about at Lantern, which is dealing with uncertainty and specifically, what do you do when you don't know the answer to something? And how do you know when the answer has arrived for you, right? When you're dealing with confusion about how to equip a kid going to college the right way, how to deal with a parent, how to deal with a work situation, how do you deal with a relationship? feels like generally the people that we work with 
this is a practice area for them, which is a nice way of saying people are really bad at this, right? People are, we're bad as a species of dealing with uncertainty, I think. Yeah, I think it's a new muscle to strengthen. I think we were all given a version of disruption at varying degrees during COVID. And that really kind of escalated people's, including ours, arrogance about how much we can control and how much are we in control of. And would say our clients deal with this all the time, but we do too. And we're in the thick of finding our way through a lot of change and change in our families, change in the structure of home, change in our business, lots of uncertainty around our book that we are in the process of publishing early next year and and what that journey looks like. Uncertainty about our work and clients and how we can best serve and where we focus and where we follow kind of this creativity that keeps coming out of us at wanting to, to offer more, create more. And how do we balance that with focus and prioritization and what we don't do? So we're in the soup of that. And that's really was our morning conversation of how is that showing up for us personally and professionally? And then how do we navigate what you just talked about? Like, what do you do when you don't know what to do? And then how do you know when you know? Like what is unique to you and your body and your mind that is like your your blueprint, your soul print that says, listen to me now. What is that voice? What are those cues that are so unique to you that you can trust in following it when it kind of makes itself known? So that's kind of the territory I think we were playing with about exploring together today. Yeah, I love it. And it's right smack dab in the middle of all of our work because people come to us for the most part because they're needing a coach to guide them through a situation that's unknown to them. And it it might be positive, it might be negative, it might be being terminated from a, a role that they served in for 20 years. It might be selling a company that they ran for 30 years and not knowing what to do next. It might be splitting with a partner they've had for a long time, or it might be about to be married to someone new, but these choice points are all around us in our work. So why don't we start with the first one of just being okay with not knowing, right? That's kind of part one of the guidebook for conscious leaders on dealing with uncertainty. What's that feel like? Maybe talk first about why is it so hard for us to be okay with not knowing, do you think? Oh my gosh. I don't know. I know I feel better when I'm clear, when I have a vision and when I have sight to what's coming, because for me, it allows me to plan (laughs) and planning helps me feel more comfortable. I notice when I'm booking travel, for example, for a trip or lacrosse tournaments, or when I get that kind of piece out of the way, it feels like it calms my mind and then I can kind of bring more attention to something else. And when I haven't taken care of it, the planner in me is stirred up. It's like more, it's more restless. And I notice I have to practice a lot of being more comfortable in that space of a lot of change and not having the ability to put everything in a nice box with a nice bow and organized. And 
I like and appreciate organization and I can feel like I feel more stable and sturdy when things are more predictable. But that's just not, I think, how life is right now. There's so much unknown that I'm having as you are to practice being more comfortable without a plan. How can I be more present and release the need to kind of put things in nice organized boxes and noticing when I feel less comfortable with that, where it stirs me. I notice when I'm feeling more uncomfortable with things I can't see, but I can sense them. It's kind of like what I feel like I'm a horse in a barn that's anticipating something's coming, but I'm not quite sure what it is. And for me, when I'm sensing that, but my mind can't understand, label, know what it actually is, there's a stirring in me that I I feel like I have to put my restless energy someplace. And I tend to clean my closets. I tend to clean the garage. I tend to do stuff to busy myself. And I think what you and I are exploring is bringing more awareness to that tendency and how do we not do when we don't know what's coming next. So maybe I'll just tee it back to you because I know you have your mechanisms of how, or how does that relate to you in terms of not knowing what's coming and what you do with that? Well, before I get to that, I think you're pointing to two things that are worth talking about that I think we see in all of our clients and we certainly have written about in the book. And there are these two biases that we hold that we don't really know that we're holding. And the first is we assume that everything is certain. We assume that life is this predictable thing. Now, as you pointed out, I think what people lived through in 2020 started to maybe crack the facade a little bit on that. But even now, we're recording this in 2023, most people seem to have kind of forgotten that message. Like we assume that life goes on in this linear path and it grows at 3%. Everything exists the way it always has. And one of the things we point out in the book is actually that's complete artifice. That's not how nature works. If you look at a maple tree in January, you would say it's completely dead. And if you look at it in April or October, you see something really different. So nature works in these cycles and so does our lives. So I think the first bias we carry around without knowing it is that everything is certain. The second bias we carry around without knowing it is certain is good. We not only assume that things will go on in this predictable way, and once in a while they're unsettled by tragedy or surprise when that's actually not how it works. We then also just decide that certainty is good instead of bad. And it's almost like, as you were talking, I'm thinking of that old game show. I'm totally dating myself here called Let's Make a Deal, where do you remember that show where like the contestant would get, they see this new car, it's probably like, a Chevy Malibu or something glamorous like that. They can either take that or what's behind door number two or what's in the small box. And invariably on the show, they open door number two and it's like kitty litter. You know, it's a terrible thing. The uncertain thing has been awful all the time. So maybe that reinforces this feeling that uncertain is bad. But actually, I think in our work, you know, there's another name for uncertain and it's called possibility. 
uncertainty is actually divine creative potential. That's actually what uncertainty is. That person that you didn't know you were going to run into on a plane, right? That long lost colleague you didn't know you were going to reunite with, that unexpected person who comes out of the blue and has the best job offer for you. So I think that's what is occurring to me as you're talking is, wow, I I think for so long, I just, one, assumed things were going to be certain and have learned in good and bad ways that they aren't. And now still, even as, you know, an, an adult, I tend to find myself thinking that certainty is good, but there's surprises around every corner. And so much of the time, the positive things I look back on were completely these things I never planned that were so uncertain. So that was a lot. I'm going to let you get a word in before we keep going on this topic. Yeah, what strikes me that what you're sharing is the relationship between knowing and not knowing. And when I feel into the gift of knowing, it offers focus. It offers form, literally like creating in form. There's when we know we focus and we form it and we ground it and we become more attentive to that one thing that we think we know. And as such, we kind of channel our creative energy and our ability to manifest what we know to be true into form. I feel it in my body as not contraction, but focus, if you will, like direction, discretion, like it sorts out what is noisy and it focuses on what I'm choosing to believe I know, or if that makes sense. When I feel into not knowing unknown territory, it feels vast. It feels so if I open, limitless in terms of potentiality of what could manifest in the spirit of what you just talked about, it's possible. There's infinite possibility in the unknown. And when I think I know, I literally bring my focus and attention onto what I think I know. And then it limits the other possibilities. Yeah. And there's pros and cons to that, right? Because when we bring things into form, when we create a new, when we incubate and innovate, that requires our full attention and focus. So there's, it's not bad or wrong, but I think there's a big difference of that feeling of being attentive and focused that creates more of a sense of control and singularity if you will, to the experience of unknown that may feel so much more uncomfortable, unstable, but infinitely limitless in the possibilities of what could happen in those variations of whatever it is that wants to come forth. There's an interesting dance between the two of how do we learn to be more comfortable in the sea of the unknown, the sea of ever-changing possibilities and currents and relationships and whatever it is that wants to come in to the dance of how do you know when you know? And so I think there's 
there's just an interesting difference between I wish I could be more comfortable, honestly, in the unknown. And I think we've been practicing it for a lifetime. And I feel like this is the muscle we're intentionally practicing is trusting with patience to be present and open to the unknown, the infinite possibility. And yet it's still fucking uncomfortable. Like I still can see that I have tendencies to strategize unconsciously how to make myself more comfortable in the uncomfortability of the unknown. Yeah. And that's why, like, I wanted to bring up this, this idea of these biases before getting into like, what do I do when I don't know? Because I think, you know, something we point out at Lantern is I think generally people are bad at envisioning good things. I do. I think everyone has it when they're five or six, everybody plays make-believe and they're great at it. And then it gets beaten out of us, honestly, and all the scenario planning and all the math problems we need to solve. And by the way, we love math, so I'm not slamming math, but we get a lot of practice in finding an answer that's concrete and looking through the downside scenarios, but we don't get much practice in imagining what good is can happen for us. And we see this all the time in our work with teams on strategy, where we'll deal with a strategic issue, like what might happen with sales. And we'll either get sales is going to grow 7%. We'll get this number that's pulled out of nowhere, right from a spreadsheet. And then you'll get 10 different downside scenarios about, oh, but we could lose a big supplier and, oh, we could, the market could fall out and, oh, the economy could crash. And, but no one is sitting here also thinking, what if we get a crazy new customer who wants us to double our supply, which has happened to groups we've worked with? What happens if we pick up Walmart and we get distribution all over the United States, which has happened to a group that's been to Hertzbase? What if we get a call from the government to get a $5 million grant a year for five years, which has happened to a group that's been to heart space. Like all of these crazy scenarios seem fanciful. And in our experience, they're just as likely to occur as all the negatives that we imagine all the time. So the practice point for me on this to finally answer your question, I know I'm churning something when I'm doing things like making lists or replaying scenarios And the practice for me is to catch how negative the lists are and how gloomy the scenarios are. And the practice is just imagining the other side of it. And it's hard for me, but I I literally have to have like a logical conversation with myself. Like, I'm not asking you to be a Pollyanna, Jeff. I'm just asking you to argue both sides of it. So if I'm going to give myself an argument for why everything sucks, because I don't know what's going to happen then I like make myself argue the other side, which is, well, or it could be that this is actually exactly what's needed for this other thing that I can't imagine, right? Like, and learning a lot of playing a lot of bad golf right now, like I see this every moment. Someone I play with will step up to the take a tee shot and be like, I'm going to hit this right into the, (laughs) I'm going to hit this right into the water. And I just hear myself saying, no, you're going to bomb it 250 yards down the fairway. Well, as you know, Jen, as soon as the person hitting it says, I'm going to hit it into the water, they hit it into the water, right? But they totally had the potential to do the other. So I think the practice for me and the not knowing has been 
can I at least imagine as many good outcomes as bad? And I will say I've been on this practice point for like five years because it's not necessarily easy for me. But it's really, if you can be lighthearted about it, I find it comical because I really can see how friggin' dramatic I get, right? And how like gloomy I get. <laughs> it's absurd, right? Oh, I've got a hundred reasons why this guy is going to fall tomorrow, but not one that the sun's going to come up and it's going to be a beautiful day. And when you start to see that, you start to lighten up a bit. Yeah, I love that. I think for me in practicing being okay, not knowing by first being aware that I don't feel okay in that space, that there is some unsettlement, that there is some stirring. That awareness without story and without habit helps me to then have more patience to allow and trust that the knowing will come, that the invitation is to become acutely aware, like increase the barometer of my attentive tools of how much can I see, how much can I witness, how much can I hear, sense, feel with the cues that are coming in that may be giving information that will help me know when I know. The more open I am and the more patient I am in that space of not knowing I can trust that those cues, those possibilities will come. And then my job, just like as you're talking about, I feel like it's the practice that requires practice. I'm really surprised in how long I've studied positive psychology and kind of been on this journey of positive visualization and understanding the benefits of all of that and how you bring things into form how sometimes challenging it is, as you're speaking of, how automatic it is to not realize that the tool of imagination, the pretend, the pretendingness that what I wish to work out or what I wish to experience is right here. And I can get to, I can imagine that it's already here. It's not out there. I actually, in the waiting, I get to experience it as if it is real for me now. That's kid play. That's imagination. That's visualization is literally making it up. Our brains don't know any difference of whether it's made up or imagined or experienced. Our body and mind experience it the same way. So if that's true, like how have we forgotten that? And honestly, in school, why are we not taught that? Mm-hmm. It blows my mind that now in our 50s, we have to relearn and give ourselves permission to have patience, to pretend that we can actually manifest what we want to know in the unknown. So it feels like real practice, if you will, when the waters feel unsettled, when the current is rushing really fast, or the tide feels the strength of it feels like it's just pulling us in different directions finding sturdy ground and that not knowing is having patience, paying attention and waiting for the signs and the cues to come so that we can know when we know, if you will. I love it. Well, and that's a great segue to how do you know when you know? So we're kind of pointing to in this first half that being okay with not knowing is a practice and not knowing is the creative soup of life right? Not knowing is actually the default 
not the reverse. And maybe may I make one comment on that? I think one thing that has felt like helpful practice for us, and if you're listening and this resonates to try it for yourself, and maybe you already do this, but when you don't know to be aware of not doing to know, meaning when you don't know, wait, when you don't know, allow, when you don't know, receive, when you don't know, be still. The antidote is not necessarily to do more. And I think that's what we're taught. And that's kind of the automatic behaviors when we're feeling uncomfortable with not knowing in whatever coping mechanisms we tend to do more to make ourselves more comfortable, whether it's planning, making lists, organizing the garage, whatever it is. But the curiosity of really tapping into the soup of the infinite possibility is sometimes to wait, to be, and not do. And I think that's a critical component that's the bridge before, well, then when do you know when you know? Well said. And I mean, the metaphor that we use at Lantern on this is if you're if you're waiting for a bucket of water to clear or a pond to clear so you can see what's at the bottom, the last thing you would do is shake it and stir it all around. And all that does is stir up the water and make it muddier. Things clear up when you let them settle. And again, easier said than done, but all the list making and churning and chewing on and calling other people and saying, can you believe he said that? And all of that just keeps things stirred up. It's actually not the avenue to the kind of knowing that you're talking about, which takes us to, I think the second part now, which is you're pointing by bringing that up, Jen, to there's this other kind of knowing that's not intellectual knowing that's a peaceful certainty, maybe we could say, or a sense of knowing rather than the thinking of knowing. So let's go to that part. So how do you know when you know if things aren't certain and great, we're telling you to leave it alone, imagine the possibilities, treat the uncertainty as a gift, blah, blah, blah. But how do I know then, Jen and Jeff, when I have an answer? Yeah, I think it's different for every single person. And I know it's different for you than it is for me. I would say, for me, my sentience, meaning my ability to know, comes from a full body, yes. That is one of my gifts, is the ability to know. Some people have the ability to hear, Claire audience, Claire Voyance is the ability to see the unseen. Each one of us has a different sense that is more kind of activated. And part of being a conscious leader is to become more aware and aligned with what that sense is. How do we really know what works for us? How do we know the decision that is right for us? How do we navigate this unknown path with the best choice that will align to the highest and greatest good for ourselves and those we love and lead? For me, it comes from, it's almost like sometimes I get a lightning bolt or I will walk through a doorway and an insight or a a line, a statement will come 
or clarity on something I've been churning on that I kind of have left alone for a while. All of a sudden I get an answer to something I'm not thinking about. The knowing for me has vitality. And what I mean by that is that there is energy coming from within that has been stirred up. It's like my body all of a sudden has gotten a booster shot energy. I can feel like there's momentum, there's a yes involved, and there's a calmness that comes with the clarity of knowing what I need to know. I wrote about this in my one of my recent blogs about Riley, my son, who how we navigated a lot of scary alternatives with surgery, interviewing doctors. And on the 15th doctor, I had a sense of knowing that this was the right path. And prior to that, I had a sense of knowing we couldn't wait any longer. And we were waiting for his nerve to wake up. And then all of a sudden, there was just momentum. There was an urge to act. And that was different than the the need to wait. And it's hard to articulate, but it was a visceral feeling in my body. And that's what would attune you as a listener to is that we kind of, we override the intelligence of our physical body as a vessel of intelligence. That vessel of intelligence has so much wisdom that we are overriding with our thinking in our head and our mental intellectual acuity to think we need to know what we know. But our bodies are giving us information and signals all the time about where we get hot, where we get red in the face, where we close our our arms and, and push back, where we procrastinate, where we feel sick to our stomach, where we feel open-hearted and in love with another or in life itself. And those are cues that I feel like are the knowing tools, if you will, that if we can get back to becoming more acutely aware of how does our body speak to us, that will guide us to knowing when we know. Mm. How do you know? Because I feel like, I honestly feel like every single person is so different in their knowing. How does that show up for you? Yeah. I mean, what I resonate with is the idea of calm and people who've listened to the podcast know I live near Lake Michigan and it's pretty important in my life and a source of beauty and a source of serenity. And back to the idea of water stirring up, you know, I think of when I'm struggling with an issue, it's like Lake Michigan on a windy day. I mean, it's, it can be fun. It's also tumultuous. It's sometimes scary to look at. And when I know there's a feeling in me that is the absolutely calmest summer day and you can see the bottom a hundred feet out. So I know that I'm onto something when I'm not making lists anymore, when I'm not churning on things. When I hear myself say, I can't describe it totally, but I think that is usually the sense, the sign I'm not thinking anymore that I'm feeling into something. When I hear myself say like, I can't totally explain it, but this is what I think we should do. And often, I mean, listening to you, I can see for me, often the path to knowing comes through acceptance. And what I mean by that is for me, at least, 
I'm often in indecision, not about necessarily uncertainty. I'm in indecision or conflict about me not wanting it to go that way, <laughs> or me not want me not thinking I can deal with it, or me not feeling like it's fair if something goes in a direction I don't want. And, you know, just to give it a silly example, like with sales, there's sometimes that will pitch work and I'll feel I'm really anxious about whether we get it or not. And the acceptance comes in of being literally able to say, well, plenty is fine either way, you know, and if this client doesn't choose us, then they're going to be better off because they didn't want to work with us and will be better off because we don't want to work with someone who doesn't really, is not really into our way. And then that gives me into a calm place. I've accepted that I'm okay either way. And so then there's really nothing that's uncertain. The events are uncertain, but I'm not. And so I think, I don't know, even as I say it, I can feel myself saying, I don't know how to explain that, but I know that it's real for me is coming to terms with what I can control and what I can't. And often that's where the conflict point is for me. It's less about what I need to do. It's more about like, I know what I need to do. I'm just resenting it. Or I just wish it was a different way. Or I just wish it could go a different way. Now that's different than like the story with Riley where you legitimately had all these choices. And I think there are times in that place, like, yeah, it's allowing myself to step backwards. And you pointed to a couple tools that I think we should highlight that are helpful, getting outside, stepping away, trying to put it down instead of calling your friend to talk about it more, actually putting the phone down, yeah, you know, making it, yeah, shifting your focus, go for a run, go out in nature, go for a hike make a commitment to yourself that you won't think about it or talk about it for 24 hours. Like all of those things actually end up clearing the water. And then, yeah, but the actual knowing for me is it's hard to, when I can't quite explain why I feel what I feel, I think I'm in the right place. Yeah. And I feel like in the, I want to be careful because all those things that you just listed are all doing things and it feels important to experiment being still meditating closing your eyes and being really going into what feels uncomfortable in the not knowing i think we put a tremendous amount of pressure on ourselves of having to make the right decision believing that there's a wrong one and what if there's not well that's what i'm trying to point to yeah i'm not trying to point to do more i'm trying to point to the conflict for me comes in like, there's really little that we control. We don't know any of it. So once you can get in that place of acceptance, it kind of makes everything easier. Yeah. And I think what is the real kind of wizard tool is detachment in relationship to imagination, right? Being neutral, you're speaking to a calmness of clear water. When you're Using the example of plenty sales, for example, you're detached. You have a neutral kind of mind at which we're allowing the experience to happen, allowing the alignment to occur in the highest and greatest way it needs to without attachment to the outcome. And that is a very powerful place to be. 
and recognizing that we are powerful creators and manifestors. And how do we bring the future state of what we want and need to experience to the now? And that requires imagination and possibility and being open to what wants to come in. And those two sometimes to me feel like they're at odds of like having a neutral kind of give or take with what is in relationship to our power and our power to manifest what we want to kind of bring into form. I'm not quite sure all the time of like what that dance is, but I do know that we are so much more intelligent and capable and ready for the choices that are in front of us. And I truly do believe that there's no bad decision because it's all learning. It's what feels the most vital in the moment, what feels most aligned to our light. We get to choose, are we fortifying that or are we distracting and diminishing it? And sometimes I think given our relationship to society and culture and news and all the stuff that's out there, it's very noisy. And there's a qualitative difference between what we're feeding as being kind of diminishing and what's feeding our growth. And I think as we navigate these unknown and known territories, being okay not knowing and trusting when we know what when we know, we get to lean more into the choices that feel most aligned with who we are right now. What feels best to us? What brings calm waters to you? You know, what feels alive and vital to me? And whatever that means for you listening, getting to experiment with the differences feels like a really important muscle to practice as a conscious leader. Yeah, and what you're pointing to, I don't know exactly how to say this, but you kind of have to practice it sideways. It's hard to practice directly some of the things that we're talking about. It's hard to practice not thinking about something, right? Because as soon as you start, put it out there, you start thinking. But especially the kind of look for the landing that you're talking about. But it's just allowing yourself to be a little lighter and a little more curious, maybe. The best example I can think of of that kind of look for the landing was from about 15 years ago. And it was not a decision that I thought there was any conflict on. My wife, Jeannie, and I had three kids at the time. We had talked maybe about having a fourth kid, but three kids was a lot, three kids under six. I was traveling a lot. There was a lot going on at the house. We were tired all the time. I mean, anyone who's ever had kids can probably relate to that. And once in a while, Jeannie would bring up having a fourth kid, but I would not say it was an active conversation or something I was uncertain about or something that we would be in conflict about in the slightest bit. One summer day, and I still feel, I feel like the touch of God telling the story. I mean, we were sitting all the kids down for dinner and, you know, like macaroni's being flown about and like ketchup's probably already spilled on my face at this point, just like chaos of dinner with three young kids. And I noticed the dining room table had six chairs. I noticed there was an empty chair. And I pointed out to Jeannie, I said, I think we're supposed to have four kids. And she said, I do too. And that's why my Danny, my lovely Danny, who's now 15, 
came about. And I wasn't practicing that, right? Like it was more just, just being open to the, the voice, being calm enough that the voice of God is how I describe it. The voice of the divine could whisper a little bit once in a while. And it's amazing what you hear when you can quiet yourself in that way. Yeah, it's beautiful. I feel like we've talked about this too, but similarly, when Riley was, I'm not sure how old now, maybe four, I had had a miscarriage and thinking we were going to have two. And then with my career at SunGuard and traveling a lot and being very career driven, I really wrestled with how could I have another child when my career, birthing my career, birthing the vision that I've had for so long felt like that was my child. And things got really comfortable with Riley. He's the easiest child ever. And I remember not consciously understanding how in conflict I was that I really felt Mm -hmm. that I couldn't be a career woman and do what I was here to do to make a difference in the world. For me, that answer was through my career. I didn't see it as a mother, to be honest. I didn't see it personally. I really saw it professionally. And I sought out, as I often do, a medium psychic And at that time, she had shared that there was a being in my field and it stirred up a conversation where I was able to voice the conflict I was experiencing. And I will never forget to this day what she said was, well, what if this being is here to help you make the difference you're here to make? And it just shifted the conflict for me. And the moment after, I remember feeling freer and more excited and more possible. And we got pregnant a month later with Hadley. And I think I limit, and I think we as human beings often limit what's possible. We limit ourselves to an either or choice. And I think what's emerging for us as we evolve and become more conscious is we are able to see how capable we are to hold both, mm-hmm. to have it all. What does it feel like to be the and, to have the sixth chair filled, to have the second child, or to have the career path, or to leave a job? Like There's so many choice points, and it, it does remind me that in those pathways of unknowing, the knowing always comes. Like it came for you in that story because all of a sudden you saw something you hadn't seen before. You saw the empty chair, your awareness, you are ready to see. And when you were ready to see, you see more. And in the same way for me, I was ready to hear. And I heard something that opened me up to it, a possibility I couldn't have seen prior. And I think that's what we're kind of in exploration of this practice of how can we become more okay, not knowing and holding that space? And then how do we learn and know when we know? 
and being open to the infinite possibility and creating that space for ourselves and for others, our companies and those we lead, occupying both places is possible. And it's an experiment that we hope you listening will join us in the journey of, and you and I are certainly on the the experimentation of it. Lovely. That was a lovely conversation. Well, thanks all. We really appreciate you listening and hopefully you enjoyed doing so. If you did, please like and share this with somebody that you care about or that you lead. And we hope to hope to see you back soon. Yeah. And if you need more of this kind of conversation in your life, we invite you to subscribe to the podcast. Give us a review. And more than anything, we'd love to see you in person at HeartSpace. We have one more session of Lantern, our leadership retreat this year, October 24th to 27th, a few seats left. And I think our 2024 dates are live or soon to be live. So come see us in person and enjoy this kind of conversation live. We'd love to have you there. See you soon. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in. Join the conversation and learn more at plentyconsulting.com.